So next up, we have a very unusual topic to talk about, which is death, brief, uh, grief and bereavement. However, it's done in a very nice way through a death cafe, which they take place all around the world. And there is one that takes place regularly in Limerick, and it is hosted by Jennifer Morenstrich, who is, um, if I'm correct in saying this, a thanatologist. So, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Jennifer. And thank you. Well done you for for pronouncing sanitologist right, and I appreciate that, so gold star. <laughs> Thank you kindly. So can you tell us, what exactly is a thanatologist? Yeah, it's a fancy word for somebody who is interested in all aspects of death, dying, bereavement, the afterlife, methods of disposal, at funerals, rituals, memorialization, um, anything that is connected in any way uh, to what happens for humans at the end of our lives and I suppose after it and the meaning that we make um, after it has to do with thanatology. And the the word thanatology comes from an ancient Greek god, Thanatos, who was the god of death. He was the person that would accompany you to your through your last moments and sort of chose the time that was right for you to go. Um, and so that's where we get the word thanatology. And do yeah. people tend to, when they hear what you do, do they initially go, oh God, you must be great crack, like in a very sarcastic <laughs> way? Are they assuming that it's yeah. all doom and gloom? They certainly do. And I think it's very hard for a lot of people who meet me for the first time to kind of match me up yeah. with, um, with, with, with this uh, interest. Yeah, because it's um, like when I you meet psychologists first and people all, always assume that they're going to be like a- psychoanalyzed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think it is It is probably worrying for some people or people think like, oh, why do you want to be involved in something that's that, that yeah. depressing? I think people make assumptions that I'm, you know, going to be very um, goth or very kind of uh, wanting to represent things in terms of, um, you know, Halloween or or um, or kind of lurid things. And that isn't really me at all either. Um, not to say that some thanatologists don't have interest in, in, in those areas, but I don't quite, quite as much. I, I've just always been interested since the time I was a child in how do people like understand what it means for us to die and mm. how do we manage that within our families within ourselves as individuals, within our cultures, within our religions, and within our social spaces. So, Fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, we had, thank you, to, thank you for explaining that. We did have, um, I think it was last August, we had Valerie Smith from the Irish Hospice Foundation and Sharon mm. Cahar from Cahar and Co-Solicitors. And again, talking about the Irish Hospice Foundation's Thinking Ahead form and a, a way for people to try and really start thinking about their lives and how they actually want to be honoured when they die, how they want to be cared for if they're sick and not able to care for themselves. And quite often there's a fear about uh, dealing with that. But you deal more so in the after death experience for those that have been left behind. Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, well, I suppose I would say <clears throat> I don't just limit myself to after. I, I, I would really look at all aspects of that and advanced care planning and advanced directives and, and thinking about what you want both in terms of your own health care, yeah. what you want in terms of your legacies, what you want in terms of maybe care for minor children or what you want to have happen at your funeral, your disposal. That's all part of it as well. But, um, yes, I, I would have an interest 
in the term would be grief literacy. Now that's kind of the academic term that that's used um, for it, and it's it's trying to give opportunities to people, uh, not just you know therapeutic professionals or nurses or doctors or psychotherapists or social workers, but like regular everyday people like yourself and yeah. myself more of an understanding and feeling a bit more confident in how they would support both themselves if they encounter grief in their lives, but also their their neighbors, their friends, their family, and people that are close to them in their lives. So just, um, you know, it's funny, you started the the introduction this morning and you said, you know, we're going to talk about a topic that sometimes we don't like to talk about or that we we don't talk about very much. And I would agree with you there, but I would also think that we spend an awful lot of time talking around the subject or maybe thinking about the subject and not expressing how we really feel about it. So I suppose a a lot of my work, especially with Death Cafes, is getting people to be in a place where it feels comfortable and okay to share that little vulnerable piece of ourselves i suppose jennifer we have you know whatever experience we're we're planning for uh we do as much research as we can whatever it is in life um but there's no research we can do for this in the sense that uh, we can't talk about anyone's experiences so we're we're walking a bit in the dark aren't we I suppose. I often say to students, you know, that while there's uh, evidence out there of of what we would call near-death experiences, um, you know, and there's a lot of research that captures the the lived experiences of people who feel that they have almost transitioned to another side, but then kind of been called back, whether it was on the operating table or in an accident or some kind of a medical incident. We don't have a lot of reliable information from people who have come come back from the dead 100%. So you're right. It's a very individual experience, probably a lot like birth, mm. um, which, you know, I think our lovely bookends to the, to the human experience. But I think you can do some thinking and reading and watching and listening about Hmm, what kind of things would, if, if I had the opportunity to make choices, what kind of things could I make choices for myself for? So, mm-hmm. like, if I knew that I had a life-limiting or terminal illness, can I make some decisions about how I want to spend the last few months of my life? Yeah. If I know that uh, I, I have a chronic illness that may shorten my life, what can I do to look at making sure I have the best quality of life at the end, which might not mean active treatment for something. If I have none of those things and I see myself as perfectly healthy, but, you know, an accident occurs, what do I really want to have happen for me in terms of my funeral or maybe not a funeral, in terms of burial or perhaps cremation or resumation or or, or other um, options, you know, what, what do I really want? And can I communicate those instructions or those wishes to the people in my life that they might carry them through for me? Yeah. It, it's sort of about getting people ready to kind of do the research and have those conversations well before maybe the time is needed for the action. 
Yeah, and that's like it's interesting, actually, because there's so many topics that we don't tend to talk about in society and death definitely is one of them. And Mm. I've come across and I know you and I have spoken previously, but, you know, there's a a phenomenal podcast called Griefcast and it's Mm. really, really interesting listening. And it's mainly people that are well known and talking about their experiences with loss, like, you know, they've lost a family member or a friend. And even Monty Don was interviewed about when his dog died, Nigel, and everybody who watches Gardner's World, they were all distraught that Nigel had died. But even his talking about, well, you know, Monty Don is a farmer, so he's well used to this kind of thing. But what he wasn't used to was the phenomenal response from the public onto what had happened when the dog had died. But again, it's how we actually deal with grief is a very personal thing. And quite often we feel quite isolated within our grief or we feel people don't understand or people don't even want to be around you if you're grieving because they don't know what to say. How do you, I know you, (coughs) excuse me, you're involved with the Masters in Grief and Bereavement. How do you actually help prepare people for grief or, or is that possible? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I I think it is possible, definitely to an extent. I mean, I think like Jim said, it's, it's your very own individual lived experience. So yeah. we, we can't lay out a roadmap. And I think what has been dangerous probably in the last 50, maybe 70 years of, of bereavement studies is saying like, oh, grief is there's five stages and you have to go through yes. them and you have to go through them in an order and this is how you do it or here's grief work. This is exactly what you have to do and then after a year, you're going to feel better. Mm. And all of that is, is quite dangerous for people because it's simply, it's simply not true. Yeah. I think that what we can do both through, you're right, I, I teach a little bit on the um, Masters in Bereavement Studies for the RCSI and the Irish Hospice and I do a little bit of teaching in my work at Tooth in Limerick with social care students and psychology students around loss and grief. And certainly through death cafes and, you know, other bits that we do in the community, I think if we can just create spaces and normalize the conversations about all of these aspects of our mortality, open up spaces, maybe for people to talk about losses that occurred a long time ago that they never got a chance to talk about, like maybe a miscarriage Mm. or maybe fertility Mm. uh, or maybe the loss of a relationship. Um, you give a beautiful example there of, of Monty and the loss of a pet, the loss of a friendship, the dissolution of a friendship that maybe never gets resolved. Like all of these things are losses in our lives. Some of them are related to death, but not necessarily the death of a, of a human or what we would classically think of as death. And some of them are non-death related losses. So if, 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 if I can help uh, in some way for people to like talk about this a little bit more, maybe learn some of the kind of theories and models that are in bereavement that are a bit more helpful than this kind of, you know, it's just stages or yeah. like this is the task that you have to do to magically then stop grieving. and It's never going to bother you again for the rest of your life and you're just going to move on to the future. You know, I, I think that stuff can be helpful to people. Yeah. And so can you tell us about the Death Cafe? Sure. So, Death Cafes started in 2011. Um, a Swiss sociologist and academic and philosopher by the name of uh, Bernard Curtaz kind of had the same ideas, I suppose, that, that 
you know, are, are in the conversation we're having today, that people don't maybe talk about death or that death in, is a taboo subject in, in kind of common parlance, right? And so he wanted to create spaces where people could come together naturally, people who knew each other and maybe people who had never met before and could sit together for a period of time and talk naturally and openly about all of their thoughts, beliefs, questions about death, dying, and bereavement. And his one rule, which I love for these death cafes, is that there has to be cake. <laughs> and the reason he wanted there, <laughs> the reason he wanted there to be cake there is he said this shouldn't necessarily be filled with a lot of sadness. Although sometimes there can be very sad and very serious things that are discussed, but that we should frame it more as like a celebration of our human finite existence. I mean, even if you believe in reincarnation uh, or life after death in some way. Like, what you are experiencing right now is what you are experiencing right now. And when mm. that comes to an end, um, it deserves to be grieved in, in some kind of a way, and it deserves to be considered. So he starts having death cafes in, in Paris, and then the idea spreads to uh, a community development worker um, by the name of John Underwood in London shortly after, and then it took off. Uh, like a, a wildfire, I suppose. And yeah. he started having death cafes in the United States. And as of right now, there's death cafes in more than 60 countries worldwide. Wow. And there's been close to 20,000 death cafes total. And I'm delighted to say that we've had them here in, in Munster, in Limerick, starting in 2015. And next Tuesday, we're having our latest one. It's all part of the Lifelong Learning Festival um, in Limerick next week. And it's also part of activities for the brand new Limerick Bereavement Network. Fantastic. Um, Congratulations. I've just totted it up. And between online death cafes and real life death cafes, this is going to be death cafe 28 for Limerick. Wow. Congratulations. I'm I'm just thinking, Jennifer, you know, bits and pieces that I would have read about near death experiences and I wouldn't have studied it in depth or anything. And, Generally speaking, I would say the the experience has been to a degree positive in that, you know, what the person with the near-death experience went through, it wouldn't have frightened them. And in many cases, it was a, a most pleasant experience um, until they were brought back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the experience itself, certainly from what I've read, would you find that? Yeah, now the research, and the research says that too, and the research is very, um, <clears throat> I suppose, quick to say that we can't necessarily view this as strictly, you know, a, a, a visit to the afterlife that it could have to do with lack of oxygen uh, to the brain, especially during surgery, those those, those kind of, of things. But, yes, from everything that I've read, from people, and it's usually qualitative research, you know, talking to people who have had these experiences, you see some common themes. People see a light. They feel a warm and positive sensation. They feel like they're floating. Um, Very often they can see themselves from above themselves. So it's almost like they have, you know, have, have traveled up and can then view the scene around them. And they can view it, like you said, not 
they're not frightened, they're not scared, they're not angry, they're almost just, you know, a gentle observer of what's happening in the operating theater at the car accident or, you know, wherever this event is happening. And then the other common thing that you hear about uh, in this research is that I saw or communicated with other people who have died before me who were very welcoming and very warm, or the message is, go back. It's not your time. Yeah. Yes. But you're right. The, the literature that we have so far, mostly based in the United States, doesn't report any people feeling negative after it or feeling like it was a frightening experience. So I suppose to the extent that, you know, we, we, we want to take that evidence on board, like, that sounds kind of good. You know, it does sound kind of good. But again, um, I think the jury is still is still out. So can I, I think I'd be delighted to have the full show talking to you. However, we need to wrap this up. Um, so what I do want to ask is just to recap on the Death Cafe is this coming Tuesday, which is the 28th of March. Where is it taking place? It is um, being held at our very, very good friend, Jack Monday's Coffee House. Um, and for those of you who might not be familiar with, with Limerick, that's right on the edge of the medieval quarter in Limerick, across the road from King John's Castle, right there in Thoman Gate. Fabulous, fabulous place. And they have kindly um, hosted uh, our, our death cafes over the last four or five years. It's at 7.30. Seating <clears throat> um, spaces are limited uh, because, we, you know, we... we because seating course, at Jack yeah, Mondays yeah. is limited, and we want to be able to have a group that can kind of talk with each other and not be overwhelmed by it. As of this morning, we only have kind of three spaces left, but if people are interested, we would love to have you. It starts at 7.30. Just go on Eventbrite and search for Death Cafe Limerick, um, or you can go on the Death Cafe Limerick Facebook page and uh, and send us a message there and we can send you to the event, right, if you'd like to come along. And is there anything in terms of, like, if somebody has just had a recent bereavement, is there are there any kind of guidance as to maybe who shouldn't go to a death cafe? Well, I would never say that somebody shouldn't go, okay. right? Um, I, I, we do ask that people be 18 years um, and older. Okay. Um, that's one thing. It is free. It's also an event that if you do attend and you feel like, you know what, this isn't right for me, you're absolutely free to go. There's no commitment to stay till the end. It's not an educational group. It's not a lecture. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a bereavement support or a spirituality support group. Um, but if, if you don't learn something, if you don't get a little bit of uh, positive feeling from it, if you don't feel supported and, you know, kind of um, in a friendly space, I'd be very surprised because most people's experiences at death cafes are really, really positive. Yeah. Um, but if people are feeling a little bit raw or a little bit tender because maybe they have had a loss, um, maybe in the past six months, it might not be the space for you, but I would always welcome people to come and try it out. And if it isn't right for you right now, it might be right for you at, at our next one. And just stay in touch with us. That's great. Well, Jennifer Morenstrich, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute fascinating education. We wish you all the best for the Death Cafe and for all of your work helping, I think, probably what everybody needs. We all deal with grief in for different reasons and in different ways. So we look forward to learning more about your work in the future. But thank you for coming on to today's show.